Hey guys, Miller, welcome to this week's installment Upper in Dallas. We had a blast. Uh, I really believe you'll be encouraged by this message. I encourage you also to take a pen, paper, take some notes. I'm uh, going to walk through the three tenses of our salvation, what was, what is, what is to come. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this. We love you. Okay, um, if you have your Bibles, um, we'll be in Ephesians 4 today. Ephesians 4 is a good book. <clears throat> I, I'm really was wrestling this morning uh, with what message to share with you. Um, I, I feel like the messaging of the upper room, it, it, we don't do a mini-series. We don't do mini-series um, or mini-series, but we don't do series. Uh, a lot of the times, and I asked Peter Lewis last week if he would launch us into just... Um, a greater understanding of the gospel. Uh, P- Peter, to me, is <laughs> Peter's a mechanic, a spiritual mechanic. Like Peter has the ability to take uh, the good news of the gospel, which we've believed in and given our hearts to, and he just has this ability to fine-tune our hearts to understand what Calvary purchased for us. Uh, that the gospel isn't just something we hear one time, but the gospel is something that we, we walk out uh, for all of eternity. We will grow in the depths of our understanding of the good news. It will get better and better and better and better and better. And Peter has given his life to dissecting the goodness of the good news. Uh, he has a book called uh, Back to the Gospel. Um, it is so foundational to our house. Uh, it was birthed in the prayer room. Uh, It is foundational to our school. It has been foundational to our volunteers. It is foundational to our small groups. And so I I was actually going to really go after the presence of God. I I do want to focus on the presence of God uh, here in a bit. But I believe that the order of the gospel and these fundamentals that we're discussing today are what the presence of God rests upon. Uh, God is attracted to his order. God's attracted to order. And so uh, he, he's not legalistic in the sense of like do and don't, but there's certain things that we center our lives upon. And as we do that, he rests upon that. Grace rests upon that. And grace grows upon that. Grace matures upon that. A root system is developed and your life in God begins to grow. And, and sometimes we don't know those fundamental foundational things. And so when, when life throws us curveballs or we, we, we find like weird wonky fruit in our lives, I have to come back to the foundations because they establish that order. They keep me grounded. They keep like my eyes fixed on what they need to be fixed on, especially in today's hour when there's just so much being thrown at us online. There's so many twisted versions of scripture and the good news that's humanistic in nature, but it's not under the revelation of Jesus. And I believe he's raising up proclaimers like Peter and houses like the upper room that are really going to present the face of Jesus. And so last week he walked you through three dimensions of salvation, three tenses of salvation. And I want to attempt to articulate my version of that. Uh, Back in the day when this is probably like six or seven years ago. Grace, the, the, the message of grace was emerging uh, in evangelicalism. And, and a lot of people were talking about like greasy grace, messy grace, 
uh, that heresy was coming through a false grace message. I don't know if you remember that. And Peter and I were being accused of it. And we're like, no, we're not. What? But I love sometimes accusation actually test you. Like, let's give credit to this for a second and let's dive in the word and see if these accusations hold up. And so Peter and I wrote like an eight page document and it was the doctrine of grace for the upper room. And I realized that we actually weren't preaching grace enough, (laughs) that it's like better than we realize. If we're not actually being accused of that, we may not be preaching the real thing. And these, these three revelations uh, you know, Peter wrote a book from that doctrine, uh, that, that statement, but three revelations really emerged um, and Peter defined them last week. And those three were uh, Jesus as the lamb of God or Jesus as savior, uh, Jesus as the high priest, Jesus as Lord, and then Jesus as the bridegroom coming king. And so I, I wanna, again, unpack that from my perspective. And I'm gonna use three words just to sum up three tenses of salvation for you this morning. The first word is done. Everyone say done. Now, within this word are the other two words. I got this on my own. I feel like I'm so anointed presenting this because usually I don't like have like, you know, the three points that all start with A or like the three words you need to know that start with A. But today I'm coming at you with one word that has three words because one salvation has three tenses. You like this? All right. The first word is done. So, um, uh, this, is, this is the finished work of the cross. It is done. But in the done, you have a do. And you can't do the do without understanding the done. But as you do the done, it's unto the one. What's the one? The one is you becoming one with him. So I believe these three, the done is justification, the do is sanctification, and the one is ultimately glorification. Like this one word, I believe, frames salvation for us. What was, what is, and what is to come. So let's start with the done. The done is that you have been justified. You have been justified. Before the eyes of God, you have been justified. I really want you to take notes this morning. I'm going to repeat exactly what Peter said last week. Oh, wow. These are my notes. So the three tenses all deal with sin. So justification has to do with what was. Sanctification has to do with what is. And glorification has to do with what is to come. So when we look at justification, uh, justification is a legal term. And here's something really important about the spirit realm. You talk about order. You talk about um, understanding the fundamentals of your faith, well, the spirit realm is a realm of legalities. Meaning the devil has no access to you unless you give him access. If the devil has access to you this morning as a born again believer, it's because you have given him legal access. And typically it's through lies. It's through accusations. It's through wrong thinking. And we'll get to that in the sanctification portion, but justification deals with the penalty of sin. Now, the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death, but death is preceded by some other things. Sin first induces guilt. So if you you commit an offense legally, you are guilty before the court. 
So guilt is a legal term. So justification deals with the guilt that sin brings. But undealt with guilt leads to another emotion or another reality, and that is shame. So guilt is unto shame, and shame is ultimately unto condemnation. Guilt, shame, condemnation. They're internal agreements that you make based on what you've done. And what guilt is, here's, guilt has to do with what you've done. So you sin. You look at pornography. All right? As soon as you're done looking at pornography, you're faced with the reality that you're a pornographer. And you feel guilty. Well, you feel guilty for the act. I looked at pornography. And then all of a sudden, you, you think, I'm a pornographer. So it goes from an act to an identity. And that identity is the shame that guilt induces. Does this make sense? And then shame in our hearts leads to condemnation, rejection, self-hatred. All of that ensues from sin. But I want you to know that it's taken care of in the finished work of the cross and in the done of the gospel. So Ephesians chapter two talks about the justified state of a believer. Ephesians chapter two, verse four, can you throw that up? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. This is the process of justification. Verse five. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. That's when you get born again. You get regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The seed of salvation comes into your heart. You are justified before the eyes of the Father, and verse 6 happens. He raises you up, and he seats you in heavenly places. So the legal position of every born-again believer, when you confess Jesus is Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, he sits you in a chair. This is the chair I try to sit in every morning. It's my legal standing before God. Lord, I am justified before your eyes because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And justification does two things. Justification removes my sin. It removes my transgressions. It removes my past. It severs guilt, shame, condemnation because it imputes the righteousness of Jesus into me. So not only am I justified and set freed from what I've done, but the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. And do you know what I've done? Absolutely nothing but put my faith in what the Lord has done for me. I love that we are all seated in this room because this is how we are before the Father. By faith, you can access this place and say, I have been raised with Christ and I'm seated in him. I am forgiven. Do you know this revelation hit me when I got born again, I I made no qualms and tried to hide this. I I showed up pretty sexually broken to the Lord. And I had, I had not only guilt, but that guilt had produced shame. And I lived under condemnation internally. And when I got born again, I, I ended up actually worse off than better. And it was as if the Lord was exposing that shame inside of my heart. And he literally had to sit me down in a chair and I would put scriptures before me of my identity in the Lord, that I'm forgiven, that I've been cleansed, that I have the mind of Christ. 
in this justified state, it was by faith that I started believing it, not because of any external fruit, (laughs) but it was the word of God washing me from my justified position before the eyes of the Father. And this is done by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that justifies. He, he initiates that work. The Holy Spirit actually initiates all this. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, that uh, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, this, is also, this chair is also a really good place uh, to disarm the accusations of the devil. So Romans chapter 8. 33 and 34, it says, who shall bring any charge against God's elected? Listen to this. Who shall bring any charge against one that's seated in this chair? The next sentence says, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn those that have been liberated by the spirit of life. The presence of Jesus establishes this reality in our hearts. We need the presence of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Can you throw that up? Because the Holy Spirit not only works in us being justified before the eyes of the Father, but it also works in our sanctification. And this verse says both of those. Look at this. Or do you not know? I love that Paul oftentimes when he's correcting the church that he's writing to, he appeals to their minds. He's like, listen, you, you wouldn't be acting this way unless you knew this reality. He, he, he does this all the time. You, you, do you not know? Wait, I, obviously you don't. <laughs> but Paul is so, uh, sometimes he's tender. In 1 Corinthians 15, he just says, you fool. Um, but, but in this text, he's, I feel like he's pleading, and it's because of their thinking. It's wrong thinking. Which sanctification doesn't begin in action. Sanctification begins in thinking. It's right thinking that leads to right feeling and doing. But he's appealing to their mind. He's like, you're not thinking right. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor uh, idolaters, nor effeminates, or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetousness or drunkards, rivalers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. That was a former identity. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So... The Spirit of God finds you and you're a a pornographer or you're an adulterer or you're addicted to substance. Spirit of God, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of this identity. And as the regeneration of the Spirit hits your heart, he puts you in this chair. And those things are no longer your identity. You are now justified before the eyes of the Father. You are a son, you are a daughter. You are holy, you are righteous, you are a beloved. In a moment, that exchange took place. The seed of salvation gives you that. This is the justified state. So this is the done of the gospel. It is finished. You have this, if you're born again, you have the seed of salvation inside of you. And that seed is incorruptible. 
And that seed, we water, we, we, we nourish, we put it in environments where it can grow, but God causes it to grow. And the growth of that seed is sanctification. Yeah. So sanctification is the do of the done. So we'll go to sanctification. Sanctification just means whole, to be whole, to be holy, to be set apart. And this is the high priest ministry of the Lord. That the Lord, once you're seated in this chair, the real work begins. He begins to work out that salvation in you and through you. The done is still a reality. This is not about you doing something for the Lord. This is about you activating what he did for you. There's a done and the do. And so uh, I say it this way. Without understanding the done, if you run to the do, you just get do, 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 do. You know what I'm saying? Your life gets messy and smelly because you're attempting to do it in your own strength. You have to regularly come to the done and the done produces the dew. The done is the source of the dew. The dew comes from his grace working through and in you. If you hear me saying that sanctification is up to you, you're missing the done. The done is the foundation. The done is unto the dew. But many times when we look at our do, when we look at what we're doing in our lives and it doesn't line up with the done, we need to come back to the chair. We need to come back to the place. And so justification is unto sanctification and sanctification is dealing with the power of sin in your life. Although the penalty of sin has been removed, I believe if you're a born again believer that that factory that once produced evil, gnarly, sinful fruit has been shut down. But the process of us being sanctified before the Lord is us renewing our minds and submitting our souls to that reality so that it bears that fruit. We don't walk according uh, to the desires of the flesh, gratifying them anymore, but we walk according to the spirit. And this is Ephesians chapter four and Colossians chapter three. Uh, Paul really hammers this. Um, And so we'll be in Ephesians 4. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Uh, Ephesians 2, there's a great book uh, that I encourage you to get by Watchman Nee called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's the three positions of a believer. Sitting is justification. Uh, Walking is walking out sanctification. And then stand is actually about spiritual warfare. Um, but, but we're going to talk about sitting and now we're talking about walking, which is the sanctified journey because you, you, you do sit with the Lord, but you also walk with the Lord and walking is where that salvation manifests in your life. It manifests in you and it manifests through you. Oh, we're teaching today. Um, Ephesians 4, 1, it says, so walk in a manner worthy of the calling. It's gonna talk about the giftings that actually equip you, which is why we need one another. And then in verse 17, it says, so I say this, affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. So you're walking with the Lord, but you're not walking as you used to in the futility of their what? Of their mind. So it's, it's a mind thing. This chair should renew your mind. I'll prove that to you in Colossians 3 too. But it says this, being darkened in their relationship, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of their heart, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him, you have been taught in him just as 
truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. This is sanctification. You're laying aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with its lustful deeds, but you have been renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the sanctification process. It's the renewing of the spirit of your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you put on a new self, which is in the likeness of God, having then been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore you lay aside falsehood, speak truth to, um, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals no longer, he who steals must steal no longer. So if you're a klepto, because you've been born again, you're not a klepto. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, something to share with one another. Let no unwholesome uh, word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to uh, the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear it. And then sandwiched in this exhortation of kind of, these are the fruits of what a sanctified life looked like. These are the things you're putting aside. But in the midst of that, he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why does he say don't grieve the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's initiating that work inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the one that's putting death the deeds of the flesh and producing the fruits of the Spirit, producing the life that's found in the Spirit. Sanctification happens when you don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but you cooperate with him. It talks about bitterness and anger and wrath and slander. If these things are in your life, you come back to the chair and you allow the Holy Spirit to dissect those things and to remove lay aside. And then inevitably in both of these exhortations, both Colossians 3 and uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it moves into the family unit. It moves into marriage. Flip over to Colossians 3 real quick. You'll see a similar theme here. Colossians 3 verse 1. Therefore, this is a scripture you're very familiar with. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that raising is our what before the eyes of the Father? It's our justification. So you've been raised up, you've been justified. So if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your what? Mind on things above, not the things of this earth. So this is the sanctified process of setting our minds, renewing our minds. And then he's gonna go through and again, he's gonna list off things like anger and malice and wrath and slander and speech from your mouth. He's gonna talk about putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. It's just beautiful. Let the word of God richly dwell in you. So these scriptures define the sanctification process. And it's the renewing of the mind It's the transformation of the soul. And this happens daily. If justification is that you have been saved, sanctification is that you're being saved today. He's working that process in and through you. Just as you once yielded the members of your body to impurity and to the greater and greater iniquity, so now yield your members to righteousness for sanctification. 2 Corinthians Uh, 3.18, I think, is the best description of sanctification. And it says, therefore, we behold the face of Jesus being transformed from glory to glory, just as from the Spirit. It's the Spirit sanctifying it. So how does this work practically? Here's how it works practically. worked very practically for me in this week. Um, I didn't tell my wife I'm going to share the story, but I'm going to share the story. Forgive me now. Um, 
I, uh, we had a tiff this week. Um, I don't know if you guys ever get in arguments with your wives, but I got an argument with my wife. Um, it was date night. We had a conversation and it, it just, as we got home, we just kind of butted heads. I was tired. I had a moment of weakness and I said things I shouldn't have said. Um, it wasn't like a scale of one to 10. It was probably a three, right? But what I said was hurtful to my wife. And I realized it was hurtful. I brushed my teeth, came back in. And I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And cried. She forgave me. Amazing. Went to bed. It was awesome. Next morning, I wake up. I'm seated in my chair, spending time with the Lord, you know, praying in tongues, thanking him I'm his son, thanking him that I'm justified before the Father, putting my heart before him, and all of a sudden he wants to talk to me about the night before. What? What about it? <laughs> I, like I said, I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like you, you confess to her, but I need you to repent to me. And as I'm sitting in this place of, I'm justified, I'm a, I'm a son, he loves me, but he's really, really committed to making me the husband that his daughter deserves. And as I'm, as I'm sitting there before him, I mean, I'm overcome with a spirit of repentance. And I'm, I'm realizing the power of my words, that, that my words carry the same power his words do. Ephesians 5 says husbands wash, you know, Christ washed the bride with his words. They were to wash our brides with our words. And what I did is I, I wounded my wife. And I saw from the father's perspective what I did the night before to my wife, even though I had confessed. And so I like repent to him, make me a better husband. He gives me mercy, grace, shows me what to do. I walked back in that morning. She was spending time with the Lord and I got on my knees and I said, I need you to forgive me. She said, I already did. This isn't about me and you. This is about me, you, and the Lord. I need you to forgive me. And I became a better husband through that. What happened? The process of sanctification, the process of the Holy Spirit correcting, pruning, changing me. Why? Because I'm a justified son who's walking out this sanctified process. Is that helpful? I brought what I did to the done. I brought what I did to the done. And the Lord in the done did something that only he could do through what I did that he didn't want me to do. <laughs> and some of you husbands need to get to the chair now. You know what I'm saying? Um, so... It plays itself out in real ways. And then, so the done is unto the do, but ultimately, like this thing, salvation's being worked out, the done and the do in the moment, it's unto us as his people becoming one with him. Yeah. And this theologically is glorification. So we've been justified, we've been sanctified, and one day we will be glorified. And what's amazing about the moment of glorification is that the penalty of sin has been dealt with. The power of sin has been dealt with. 
But one day Jesus will make all of his enemies a footstool to his feet. And he will remove any and all that hinders love. He will remove any and all that is defined as sin in his eyes. This is the will be saved. And actually, I want to position us as a community to start looking ahead to that because I do in the coming days want to talk about the end times. I want to talk about the days ahead. I feel like we're slightly behind on the curve, like where we're going. I feel like I need to get us up to speed on the shakings that are right around the corner. Because the Lord's going to, one day he's going to baptize the earth. He's going to sanctify the earth with fire and it will be a new earth and we will be one with him. And that is the glorification. It is about the body. Uh, If the spirit is justified, the soul is being sanctified. And that day you will get a new resurrected glorified body. Jesus Uh, Larissa said Jesus had wrinkles in his eyes, you know, when he was smiling. I was like, does Jesus have wrinkles? But I I know that she's really close to him, so I'm assuming maybe he does. But anyways, we're going to get new bodies. Will they have little bitty wrinkles? I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe they will. But you you won't have arthritis. You'll have a new body. Amen. So you'll be renewed. Um, and, and it will be union. It will be a marriage. It, Jesus will be our bridegroom. And in the Holy Spirit in this hour, I guess the children are leaving. Yep. Thanks, Art. Love you, bro. I'm calling out the guy that put the message up. Um, yeah, I'm so grateful for Art. You're amazing. You're amazing. Uh, so the, let me just end with this thought. Um, this glorification is the Holy Spirit's eyes are on that. He's preparing us for it. Uh, The church in the last days will be defined as a bride and rooms like this will be a bridal chamber where he's preparing a bride who has been power washed by the Holy Spirit because they're justified, sanctified, and they're spotless before him. The spirit in this part is awakening a cry that says, come. And it's longing for the glorification of the earth. It's longing for when the uh, glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Um, This is where uh, it's heading. It's our faith will become sight. Um, But but I believe that as we get closer to uh, to that day, we're gonna need to know and be equipped uh, with a robust theology yeah. for a victorious church yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, in those shakings. Yeah. And so the, the, the reason we want to lay out these three tenses is because we are setting our eyes to the blessed hope of his return. And we're partnering with the Holy Spirit for that reality. And as we get closer, the Lord is going to release judgments And those judgments are going to remove barriers that are hindering love, that are hindering the revelation of him. I believe there's going to be a massive harvest that comes to the earth. And he's raising up churches like this to receive them and to say, hey, you've been justified. You're being sanctified. And one day we're all going to be glorified. These Revelations are so foundational for us in uh, the days ahead. So I, I, I will, I will 
speak to that in the coming days, but we really want you to understand these foundational tenets to your faith that you as a born again believer have been justified before the eyes of the father. You're being sanctified by the power of the spirit. And one day we will be made one with him, glorified in him, reigning on the earth with him.